I had no control, no energy. I just couldn't make anything move, no strength, um, which for me is a very bizarre feeling. My wife had literally taken the dog out for a walk. Normally she'd walk the dog for an hour, but she decided to come back 15 minutes later, came in and realized something was badly wrong. When the uh, paramedics set up, they basically took it as 100% stroke. We need to get you in to hospitals very quickly. So this would be about six o'clock by now. Blue lighted to St. George's, which thankfully is probably one of the best um, stroke hospitals in Europe. It's a deeply personal thing. It's absolutely individual. It's genuinely unique to each person. And as much as you read about strokes and recovery and what might have caused it or how you recover afterwards there's no blueprints within an hour and a half to two hours pulled itself together to a point where they said right okay we take everything back we're going to move you up to up to a ward you're going to be monitored but this is genuinely one of the most bizarre and incredible things we've ever witnessed in our lives Hello, this is Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Today, we'll hear from Kevin Patrick Victory from London. Kevin suffered a stroke at the age of 59. Very happily made with um, most wonderful son. When I was 26, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer, which was terminal. Having gone through um, two and a half, three years of uh, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, four operations, a wonderful doctor who had created a new type of chemotherapy, which is now statutory, which was unique at the time. And um, I was one of the last sort of 10 guinea pigs who were allowed to um, sort of try to see if it was going to save their lives. 10 of us did it, two of us lived. Basically, what he created was a new type of chemotherapy, which was to coat the cancer cells with a proton and coat um, mm. the chemotherapy with a neutron. So rather than actually um, what I had, which was, you know, 10 five-liter bags a day of uh, chemotherapy, which chemotherapy is metals in solution. So I was incredibly fortunate to come out of that, but unfortunately it had massive ramifications. I was told I wasn't able to have children, but luckily I was able to have a wonderful son. Business-wise, I run my own business, own free restaurants. We do catering for a rowing club, for weddings, and a butcher's. Um, so very much retail, quite hands-on. Um, yes, um, relatively intense. Before, the stroke was caused by, from what I've been told, a reaction to medication that I was taking for an overactive upper heart valve. So quite literally sitting at home, as Saturday afternoon, about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, watching rugby, got up to make a cup of tea. And my leg gave way. I'd had both my hips replaced about four years before, so I didn't really sort of think anything of it. I thought, okay, fine, something's gone, that's fine. And I played sport all my life and in the gym most of my life, and my level of fitness um, up to that point was pretty high. I quite literally felt like a baby. I had no control, no energy. I just couldn't make anything move no strength, um, which for me is a very bizarre feeling. My wife had literally taken the dog out for a walk. Normally, she'd walk the dog for an hour, but she decided to come back 15 minutes later, came in and realized something was badly wrong. I said, look, I think I'm okay. said, look, come on, you can't get up. You can't move. So called the ambulance, called 999. Over the phone, they said that, look, it's almost definitely a stroke. 
when we are paramedics up, they basically took it as 100% stroke. We need to get you in to hospitals very quickly. So this would be about six o'clock by now. Blue lighted to St. George's, which thankfully is probably one of the best um, stroke hospitals in Europe. So incredibly lucky there. And that's where the weird adventure started because the next two hours was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Once in hospital, Kevin began his remarkable recovery. St. George's moved very quickly. It's a deeply personal thing. It's absolutely individual. It's genuinely unique to each person. And as much as you read about strokes and recovery and what might have caused it or how you recover afterwards, there's no blueprint. So for me, it was overhearing the senior consultant. At that point, they were concerned because because there was no blood going to my brain. And they literally turned to my wife and my poor son, 14 years old, overheard. I'm really sorry. He's got 1% chance of coming out. And if he comes out, he's going to be almost definitely close to paraplegic and almost definitely mentally disabled. I was then on my own. But then I got unbelievably angry. Nothing was working. I literally threw myself around and desperately tried to, because, you know, all the stroke tests, raising your your arms, your legs not working. And I just started hitting myself, and quite literally. I mean, hitting myself and beating myself up to get everything working. At this point, there was four consultants and a surgeon because they thought they were going to have to, but they they couldn't do the uh, remedial through the groin up into the brain to remove a blood clot because of medication that I've been taking. So they said we can't do that because we think the um, arteries are going to be so tight we could end up pissing an artery. So it wasn't going to work. And then it was recorded on an MRI video scan because I was in a special bed where they were recording everything. Quite literally, all of a sudden, my brain just decided to rewire itself and my blood flow rate reached a point where they thought they were going to have to probably subdue me because they just thought that could have possibly killed me rather than actually the stroke. And the blood flow rate got so, so high, but my brain literally rewired everything. Within an hour and a half to two hours, pulled itself together to a point where they said, right, okay, we take everything back. We're going to move you up to up to ward. You're going to be monitored, but this is genuinely one of the most bizarre and incredible things we've ever witnessed in our lives. Kevin has also worked hard at his physical recovery. Recovery has been heavily monitored. They basically encouraged dramatically to sort of find your own path, which I think is absolute right way. And I've spoken to a lot of upstroke people online and blogs and various other things. And I go back to what I said about 10 minutes ago. You, you can be told only so much as to what should be done and what can be done and what to expect. And I think expectation is a massive part of this. And for me, it was, it was I expected nothing. It's kind of my DNA to expect the worst and then anything good that comes from that, then you're never going to be disappointed. So from a recovery point of view, I really took it upon myself, right, get walking, do the things that you needed to do think about food intake, think about all of the things that um, might, might, might affect another stroke, genuinely communicate with people who might have an answer for you, not necessarily always doctors, people who might have been through stroke who will have a commentary or a comment, um, but actually resonates. Obviously, I'm on medication, so it's in three pills that I take in the morning, two in the evening, 
and those are pretty much the classic ones. So, you know, statins, apixaban, and um, blood thinners, and everything else. But I found that I was getting head fog, head cloud, as I called it, always around about eight o'clock. And it was a case of actually eating wrong food in the morning. <laughs> it took maybe a month of experimenting with different foods. So, but I needed to have uh, something quite high fat and high carbohydrate sort of make all the pills work so that I wouldn't get the head fog. And this was important to me because obviously a good part of my life, I have to be able to drive. So off stroke, I can drive. But I also chose to go to every single specialist that I could go to. Went to a vision specialist, went to a neurologist, went to a brain plasmacist, um, which I would recommend everybody does if they can do it, if there's the ability or the opportunity of being able to do that. And I was spending three to five hours a day, quite literally, on eye exercises, brain exercises, anything and everything. I've always loved Spanish, but I've never been very good at it. So I'm now getting quite close to being fluent in Spanish because I wanted to do anything that was going to get my brain going. That was a massive, huge part of my recovery to a point now where I am. My health and um, fitness and my weight and everything else is probably 25%, 30% better than it was before I had the stroke. 100% back full time. I passed with flying colors on optology. So I was able to drive again, which was a big part of my sort of freedom, um, but also in terms of my work. It was taking ownership over it, if that makes sense. I, I'm not sure if that's the right phraseology, but um, it was taking ownership of you know what has happened. You can't expect everybody else or anybody else to sort it out for you. you, you you've got to make the decisions that you want to make and then do the research, get the support and decide to go forward. Coming up, Kevin talks about what he's found most valuable in helping him to recover. I can only recount it to myself and my own personal stroke journey. Brain plasticity and the ability to really encourage your brain and your vision and everything else to find another way, I, I think is 80% of getting to a full recovery. I really do. And I, and I, and I cannot emphasize that enough. And he talks about being honest. That's it. Just be honest. Be honest. Both sides need to be honest about how they feel how they're coping with somebody who's had the stroke and how somebody who's had the stroke is coping with how their nearest and dearest are reacting to them. Let's hear how Kevin's stroke affected his vision. If I go back to where I was in the first month after it happened, any of the things that were happening to me at that time, so visual weirdness, not impairment, but weirdness. So the two things that happened to me, which tends to be common apparently, is that um, colors, shapes, and sizes are very different. So for the first month and a half, everybody looked fat and overweight, and cars looked like noddy cars, genuinely. You know, cars just looked a totally different shape and size to what I knew they were. So if I knew that that was a Range Rover, it didn't look like a Range Rover. It looked like a noddy car. It was elongated, it was up, it was down, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of recovery where I am now, visual pathway is probably as good as it will be, from what I understand from doctors, if damage has been done in terms of the uh, brainstem or the visual stem, there will always be an element that it might kick back every so often. I see an optologist every single month to make sure that um, everything's fine. And really interestingly, and this is very strange, so one of the things that I've always had a problem with is name memory. And it's just been a part of my life. And I'm now remembering names of people from 10, 15, 25 years ago. And I couldn't remember them if I'd saw them yesterday. Brain plasticity is something that I had 
absolutely no knowledge of. And now I, I, I've read as much as I can and spoken to as many people who will talk to me about it, and particularly doctors and academics. I can only recount it to myself and my own personal stroke journey. Brain plasticity and the ability to really encourage your brain and your vision and everything else to find another way, I, I think is 80% of getting to a full recovery. I really do. And I, and I, and I cannot emphasize that enough. I really worked hard on it. I, I was literally at home on an iPad just doing eye exercises, brain exercises, calculations, anything. I mean, I, I even bought child some books and, you know, finding words within, you know, 25 different um, lines and just, just wanted to get everything starting again. I genuinely am convinced that's the reason why I've got the recovery that I've got. And bearing in mind, I was told 1% chance of survival. It's interesting. And finally, here's Kevin's advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones. Don't take anything for granted. Don't assume that what you're being told is the only way to find a better path for yourself. Have self-belief and grasp anything that's positive, like being able to make your own cup of coffee and being able to open a door for some people. I was very lucky, despite the fact that I was told I was going to be a basket case. And a lot of that is because I literally got so angry and forced myself to force everything to move. I didn't have any motor mobility mo uh, issues or anything like that. But people who have had motor mobility issues, you know, don't give it up. Don't give up. Never give up. Really, really understand how incredible the human body is, and but it will rewire itself. It can rewire itself, but you've got to encourage it to do it. You've really got to just push yourself. And I think that's the thing is that if people really want this, then they may not get 100% better, but they can get an awful lot better than they are. But in terms of family, and that's a difficult one because they're always going to feel that they have to look after you. Whereas I've spent most of my life looking after my wife and my son. And I don't mean that in a patronizing way. It's just the way it's been. But again, I think a big, massive part of that is being honest, being honest about how you feel. Don't feel that you have to be strong and brave all the time. If you're having a bad day, tell people. If you're having a bad moment, tell people. As you're recovering and you want to get back into normal life and sort of going out and doing something, etc. If you don't feel like doing it, just say, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I'm sorry. I don't want to go. Now, they'll struggle with that a little bit because that's not what they've been used to for the last 10, 15, 20 years or five years. Or, you know, stroke, stroke happens to people very young. You know, it's not an old person's event. It's a life event at whatever period of point in, in life. Honesty. That's it. Just be honest, be honest. Both sides need to be honest about how they feel, how they're coping with somebody who's had the stroke and how somebody who's had the stroke is coping with how their nearest and dearest are reacting to them. Kevin's doctor gave him a 1% chance of survival. He considers himself to have achieved an almost complete recovery from his stroke and is back driving and managing his business full time. Thank you for supporting us at Stroke Stories. Please do continue to spread the word about the podcast and rate and comment on the episodes you hear. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please get in touch via our DMs on Twitter or Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.